1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. <clears throat> We're in a series called Roadkill, Learning from Roadkill. Talked about the snake. We, last week we talked about uh, the skunk. And this week we're going to be talking about the turtle. Talking about the turtle. Of all the animals on the list of roadkill, I said this Friday night in the devotions, uh, I almost feel guilty about using the turtle as an illustration or example. Because I, it's a turtle, man. Turtles aren't threats like snakes. They're not fret threats like skunks. There's no reason to really want to see a turtle run over. You know what I mean? <laughs> turtles are just, they're just turtles. And yet they made the list of frequent roadkill because the carcasses of dead turtles are all over the roadways of America, especially you go out into the Midwest and down south where there's abundant turtles and you just see them everywhere. I remember when I was stationed at Fort Riley, I'd drive from one town to the next and actually count the dead turtles on the road. And you'd see people stop. Anybody ever stop to move a turtle off the road? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Over half our congregation has stopped to move a turtle. How many of you have ever stopped to move a skunk off the road? See what I mean? See what I mean? It's a turtle. <laughs> and I, it, yeah. But it's estimated that 5% of all the turtles in America will, be, will die as roadkill. Their life will end as roadkill. The turtle population can only handle 2 to 3% of death like that to not be considered endangered. So most turtles, most of the turtle population in America is considered endangered, and it's endangered because of roadkill. It's endangered simply because so many are killed on the road. Now, any turtle that believes it has what it takes to make it across a busy road alive, I'm telling you, any turtle that thinks that is deceiving itself, right? <laughs> it's not thinking realistically. No way a turtle uh, has what it takes to get across a busy road without somebody running it over. They're slow, they're cumbersome, they carry their house on their back. They're no match for a speeding motorist, yet over and over and over again, Turtles wander onto busy streets to get to a different point or get to a different pond. They stop on the road, much like skunks, because turtles are cold-blooded, much like snakes, because turtles are cold-blooded, and they sun themselves on the road to get heat. No matter the reason, the results are usually the same. Let me give you some turtle facts. There are over 300 different varieties of turtles in the world, ranging from the smallest, which is the five-ounce, three-inch-long Cape tortoise, to the largest turtle, the leatherback sea turtle, which can weigh over 2,000 pounds. Turtles are famous, obviously, for their shells, which are made up of bones and plates. It includes their backbone and their rib cage. It's made up of keratin, which is what uh, the substance that makes up our fingernails. And these shells provide them protection from most predators. The turtle does have numerous predators, which include large birds of prey. And what they do is they swim, they'll, they'll go down. If they can lift the turtle, they'll fly high and then drop the turtle and let, it, let the, the shell break open. And 
If it doesn't break open the first time, the bird will come down and pick it up again and drop it. It's a turtle. Can you pick on something else? You know, I'm seriously, it's a turtle. <clears throat> Possums try to, uh, try to eat turtles. They're not always successful. Foxes, skunks, ferrets, and weasels are all predators, and most are stopped because of the, the shell of the turtle. Now, sea turtles, as, even though they weigh 2,000 pounds and are so huge, they do have a natural predator, the great white shark. Great white shark can uh, eat a sea turtle. Turtles are found on every continent except Antarctica. Some turtles are land creatures, some are water, and some are both. The average turtle can hold their breath for 30 minutes. The loggerhead turtle can stay underwater for up to 10 hours. But in spite of that, turtles can still drown. Hold your breath for 30 minutes and you can still drown. Turtles can outswim humans. I didn't, this is one of the most fascinating facts I found out about turtles. I did not know this. Turtles can outswim humans. The leatherback turtle can swim at speeds of up to 22 miles an hour. Unless, of course, they get into that current that takes them down to Australia. You know, the Nemo, yep. the current Nemo got into. And yeah, only people with grandkids or young children know that one, right? Depending on the species, turtles can live from 80 to 500 years. Turtles are not deaf. Neither are nine-year-olds. No, they act like it. Turtles are not deaf. They can hear some sounds, and they can especially hear predators. They have good eyesight and a great sense of smell. Contrary to popular belief, a turtle cannot come out of its shell. The turtle's shell grows with them. It's part of their body. So it's impossible for them to grow too big for it. Turtles are not social creatures. They don't communicate with each other. They don't mind other turtles, but they are, not, they are just fine being alone. So don't feel sorry for that big turtle that's in the corner of the zoo all by himself. That's the way he likes it. When turtles are threatened or sense danger, they draw into their shell from prote for protection, even from a speeding car. As far as roadkill goes, between 5 and 10% is killed each year on the roads of America. And as I said, it's significant because they can't survive more than a 2 to 3% loss and not be considered endangered. Turtles are stubborn. Even when they're redirected, they'll turn around and go back in the direction they were going, even if it means crossing a dangerous road again. How many of you, now this is probably those of us who are a little more seasoned in life, how many of you remember finding box turtles in your backyard when you were a kid? And I remember, in Elkton, Maryland, I remember finding box turtles all the time. They'd come in from the... If you happen to go to Elkton, Maryland nowadays, and you go to Bowling Lane, and you see the house that we lived in for many years, there are houses behind it. Now, there's a whole neighborhood. When I was growing up, it was all field and woods back there, and that's where we'd go to create chaos as much chaos as you could when you were a kid back then with no internet, no computers, no games of any kind. And the turtles would come in and they'd come into our yard. And I can remember this, when I, re when I read this statistic, I remember this, I can remember turtles coming in and us picking them up and turning them around to go back to the woods. 
and that turtle would turn right back around. It's like, hey, bud, <laughs> let's go this way. But turtles are very stubborn, and they're going to go in the direction they want to go. Why do turtles die on the road at such a high rate? I mean, obviously, it's because of cars, but it takes the average turtle five to 10 seconds to clear the two-tire width kill zone in a car and almost 10 minutes to fully cross a road. That's why. It takes up to 10 seconds for a turtle to, craw to, to get across the average tire width, two-tire width distance, and 10 minutes to cross a road. Now, I'm sure that we could look at turtles and see several reasons why they're killed on the roads in such high numbers. But the perspective I want to look at the turtle from is this. I believe that the turtle is killed on the roadways in such high numbers because it is tortured by its inadequacies. Turtle is tortured. We're going to be looking this morning at the tortured turtle. Think about it. Yep, the turtle is slow. No doubt about it. A turtle has, does, stands no chance unless somebody intercedes or intervenes for it. It really stands no chance to get across a speeding, a, a, a busy highway, especially at rush hour. It just doesn't have a chance. Yet, it will try and try and try again. Even if the turtle would just move forward, even if it would, would realize where it was and just decide, you know what, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to do what I'm, I'm normally going to do. I'm not going to hide in my shell. I'm going to keep moving forward. It would stand a better chance, right? If the turtle would just keep trying to go across the street, it would stand a better chance. Turtle does have a, a hard protective shell that keeps it safe from most predators, but not from a vehicle. So many times because of fear, lack of speed, whatever it may be, they draw into their shell and just wait for the inevitable. Does that sound familiar? And what if the turtle simply decided not to cross the street? to be satisfied with what it had and not chase after more? What if the turtle just decided to be content with where it was? Yes, there are instinctual, instinctual and natural reactions to the turtle's circumstances, but that doesn't make them any less destructive. Just because every other turtle tried and failed doesn't mean that being roadkill is a turtle's destiny. Do you get that? Just because every other turtle has tried and failed to cross that road doesn't mean that being roadkill is a turtle's destiny. In my opinion, the turtle would benefit from trying the philosophy that says, if you want different results than what you're getting, you have to try a different approach. It comes from that it's bad. That, that saying, that, that philosophical thought has been turned into um, the humorous definition. The definition of an insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I think a lot of followers of Jesus can relate to the tortured turtle. Whether it be a past of bad choices, 
the past of the wreckage of destructive behavior, the struggle of a dysfunctional lifestyle, unreasonable goals and expectations set on you by yourself or especially by your parents. Whatever the source of our torture in life, it stalls, stunts, and even stops our growth in our lives of faith. Sometimes our past struggles and failures can be so powerful and overwhelming that we simply choose to give up trying and instead walk away from Jesus and give into the temptation of a life of sinful neglect of all things spiritual. I see this happening quite a bit today, and, and I've wondered why I keep getting emails and I keep getting, um, I, I keep reading stories about pastors and pastors' wives and people involved in ministry, missionaries, people at what, I'm saying this in the, in the right way, and pe people that would we, we would say are in leadership have reached the highest level of leadership in a church or a ministry, and they're taking their own lives because they're tortured by their inadequacies. We've hit a time in life, and let's just be honest, I mean, <laughs> This is madness we're going through right now. Have you seen the pictures of the West Coast? My goodness. People said, witnesses to it have said, the sky is red because of fire. And folks, this is, did, did you, I, I just happened to look on the weather app for the Weather Channel, and they said it's possible this week that we would have five named storm systems, five named storm systems at one time. It's unbelievable what's going on. And that, add, that just adds to everything else that's been going on in 2020. It's been a rough year. It's been a very rough year. I have my reasons for, I believe we're, we're in the end times. I believe time is drawing close for the return of Jesus Christ. And this is what we've told has been going to happen, that's supposed to make it easier for Christians. That's supposed to help us realize we've got to really dig down deep into our faith now. We've got to get a hold of why we've, why do you follow Jesus? Why did you choose Jesus? Is it because he's an escape hatch out of hell and that's it? Is the only reason you became a follower of Christ because he gave you eternal life and then you just want to go do your own thing? Why did you choose, as the, the first century apostles called it, the way? You see, life is going to be difficult some of you, you come from backgrounds that would make a psychotherapist cringe. What your childhood was like, what your teen years was like, ladies, what your dating life, because of, I even struggle to call them men, was like. Some of you have been in marriages that were torturous. Some of you, your parents, weren't parents at all. 
and you live with the torture of a past that haunts you. And that past continues every day to drag you down and to take your heart and your mind to dark places you don't want it to go. And once your mind and heart go that way, your body and your life follow. And you find yourself in a place of desperation that you never dreamed possible. And you're tortured by life. And it's so much easier to simply draw into that shell and shut the world out and just say, maybe it will miss me this time. Maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to cross the road this time. Can I tell you something this morning? There's hope. There's hope. Man, I know it's a, I know it's a struggle. I know it's difficult. as I prepared this message and as I went on my prayer drive last night. I wasn't tortured by the lack of being able to print my sermon. My goodness, I don't like doing it, but I'd preach off a computer, that's fine. My heart, God just kept bringing people to my mind to pray for. People I know that in life live tortured lives because of their past. A past that they didn't choose or a past that they did choose. You see, it doesn't matter. Torture in life is not discriminatory. <laughs> I'd like to say some things to the tortured turtles who are Christians. Christians who are living lives tortured by the past, tortured by the present, tortured by what the future may be. People who are tortured because they just can't figure it out. First thing I'd like to share with you, and this, and this may not seem, you, after all I've just said, you may look at me and say, what the heck are you putting that on that sermon for? First thing I'd like to say is this, you'll never be enough. You'll never be enough on your own. You'll never be enough. So stop trying so hard to be enough. Christian, I'm telling you, on your own, you're never going to be enough. You'll never be enough. Get that into your heart. Get that into your mind. Get that into your spirit on your own. And I'll explain that as we go on. You're never going to be enough. You're always going to keep trying to better yourself and do this, which is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. But when we do it on our own merits and on our own power, you're never going to make it. <clears throat> the turtle is tortured because... He isn't enough and he'll never be enough. He isn't fast enough. He isn't strong enough. He isn't smart enough to outsmart or outrun a car. So he'll never be successful. If that's how he continues to measure success. Do you get that? 
If the turtle continues to measure success in his life by getting from one side of the street to the other without being run over by a car, odds are he'll never be successful because he'll never make it. And the sad truth is, if he does make it, all that does is embolden himself to do it again the next time. Some of you have been told all your life, you're not, you're not, you're not. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. You're not good enough. You'll never be enough. And because of what was drilled into you and the torture and the damage it did to you deep inside, you know in your heart that you'll never be enough, but you continue to try to be enough. Learn a lesson from the turtle. You'll never be enough on your own. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12 says this, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. That's what God says. On your own, you'll never be enough. Can I, ta can I take the pressure off you? You weren't designed to be enough. You were not designed to be enough. You were designed to be one who has fellowship with God. You were created to be part of a whole. You were created to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. You were never designed to be on your own. You were never designed to be enough on your own. Blaise Pascal said this, and I'll give you the modern translation of what he said, but he wrote this. Blaise Pascal is a 17th century um, philosopher and, and uh, Christian and defender of the faith said, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though no one can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite, infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. We have modernized that to say this, we all have a God-shaped hole in our lives that only God can fill. And we all have a God-shaped hole. And the only, the only thing that can fill that hole is God himself. You were never designed to be enough. You were designed to need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, but I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I got that taken care of. No. No, man. That's just the beginning. That just ensures your eternal life. Now you have places in your heart that need to be filled, that need to be healed, that need to be cured, that need to be swept out, that need to be taken care of. Listen, <laughs> stop believing lies about yourself and chasing down things that you'll never attain and start pursuing Jesus Christ.
because he is enough. He is more. Remember the song, all of you is more than enough for all of me? One of my favorite songs. All of Jesus is more than enough. Now the Bible says, oh, the unsearchable riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 10 and 11 say, I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts. He gave you a God-shaped hole, man. He, he left an opening that only he can fill. He's put eternity in your hearts to pursue eternity and relationship with him. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Listen, you on your own will never be enough to build a life that is effective here on earth and for eternity. You'll never be enough. Listen, I'm telling you, if you're chasing, if you're pursuing success, if you're trying, <laughs> can I say something to you folks? Listen, I've, I've got a lot of experience with this. I'm not an expert by any means. I'm not anybody... I, I'm not, the, I'm not the definitive author. I'm not a writer. I, don't, I won't write a book about it. I can't write a book about it. But I've dealt with thousands and thousands of teenagers in my years of ministry. I've met with thousands of uh, hundreds and hundreds of families and parents, and I've listened to them, and I've heard them talk about their kids, and I've seen the pressure they put. When I went to Bible college, we, we would divide guys into, it. Well, I wouldn't, I was older when I went there, but there were two different kinds of divisions of guys that were in Bible college. There were God called and mama called. Guys that, know, that knew in their hearts that God had called them to preach. God had called them to pastor. It's a gift. It's a gift that God has given you. It doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's a gift. You understand that? The Bible says, and God gave some pastors, not everybody. And then there were the mama called, the guys whose parents said, you know, we just knew God was going to call our son into ministry, and they bring him up in front of everybody and say, this is our little preacher man. You realize the pressure that's put on a kid when you do that? Because you've now told your, kid, your son what you expect of him in life. Some of you uh, women, your parents put amazing expectations on you. Anybody ever been in a marriage where, where the guy lied? <laughs> wasn't, wasn't really what he wanted. He didn't really want the house in the suburbs with the white picket fence. He truly wanted somebody barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen making a sandwich. <laughs> Sorry, Elon. But seriously, I, I know guys like that. And some of you were raised that that is your obligation and responsibility. Some of you were told such horrible things about yourself and treated in such terrible ways <laughs> that nowadays you're tortured. Some of you in church were abused in church by unrealistic expectations of pastors who didn't understand the calling on the lives of people and the fact that not everybody has to do everything in a church. 
and you have to allow people to grow into the relationship with Jesus. And it's my job to help facilitate opportunities for you to fall in love with Jesus Christ. But I can't make anybody fall in love with Jesus Christ. You have to do that on your own. The good news is you don't have to be enough. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he told me my grace is sufficient for you. Listen to this, man. This should be our battle cry. My power, my, uh, my power, Jesus, uh, God is saying to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. My power is perfected or completed in your weakness. When you are weak, I am strong. When you can't go on, I can carry you. When you are empty, I can fill you. That's what I'm here for. I didn't tell you that you have to be your own resource of love. I didn't tell you that you have to be your own resource of character and integrity and hope. I am your resource. Get that into your head, tortured Christian. I am your resource for life and joy and peace. You don't have to find it in things. You don't have to find it in people. You don't have to find it in anything. Thing, you find it in Jesus Christ. He has got to be your source. When you start understanding that, when you realize that he is your source of all things, and you start relying on him, oh man, does life become sweeter. I'm not going to say it becomes easier. I'm not going to say life becomes easier. Because you're going to have a weekend like this church is going through right now where everything, the kitchen sink, is right around the corner. Be careful when you walk into the parking lot. There might be a kitchen sink flying at you, okay? Because everything's flying at this church right now. Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversaries, but the Lord rescues them from them all. The turtle is no match for a speeding car, but a Christian clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, oh, my friend, there's no match for that not in the universe. Because clothed in the power and righteousness of Jesus Christ, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. <clears throat> 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Say that again. I am the vine, you are the branches. God is the vine. You cut a branch off, what happens? It dies. You prune a tree, what happens? It gets healthier. Why? Because it's still rooted and grounded in what it needs to be rooted and grounded in. God will always be rooted and grounded in himself. You are simply the branches. And as long as you are connected to the vine, you will continue to get nourishment and strength and power to produce the beautiful leaves the wonderful fruit, whatever it is that God has called you to produce, as long as you are connected to him, you will continue to produce. But when you cut yourself off from the vine, 
Now you've cut yourself off from your source. Some of you know people. Some of you have gone through it in your lives. You've cut yourself off from, from walking with Jesus. You know what the biggest lie going on for Christians today is? I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be part of a church. I can handle it on my own. You're a fool. Can I just say, I'll say that right to the camera. You're a fool. You think you can live life without being connected to what Jesus said is the connecting point on earth for a Christian? You're a fool. Go ahead, keep doing it. And I see, <laughs> I see your lives. I see, I see your Facebook posts. I see what you're going through, and I see how things are different. I see how things are different. And I'm telling you, you walk away from church, you walk away from God, you walk away from Jesus, what Jesus established on this earth to be the connecting point for believers. My friends, you're falling away from him. It's a fact of the matter. And you're going to live a tortured life because you're not connected to the... Oh, that, that's an arrogant statement. You're saying, that, you're saying that you are God. No, I'm not. Just go back and rewind the tape. The church is where you're supposed to be connected on earth. And I'll tell you what, we could sit down and have that theological debate and you'll lose it every time. You'll just lose it. There's no, people say, where two or more are gathered together. That is not, <laughs> dude, do you realize that's not what it says? Where two or more are gathered together, I'm there in their midst. I can have church anywhere. That's not what that says. The church wasn't even established at that point. You realize that? What he was saying is, where two or more believers are together, I am there with you. I am, you are in my presence, I'm there with you. That's not saying where two or more are gathered together, we're having church. Oh, please. Think about that. Think about, that's not what that verse says. Do your research. The church is your connecting point. You have to be willing to surrender God, your, your will to God's will. You have to be willing to surrender to God's will for you. That's what it boils down to. Galatians 2, verses 20 and 22, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Second thing I want to say to you is this, you have value because God loves you. And some of you, you think you have no value in life at all because you've been told over and over and over, you're worthless. You're worthless. You're, you're not smart enough. You're not this. You're not that. You're not the other thing. The most heartbreaking thing for a parent, I went through it yesterday with, with Michael. He had a rough day pitching on the mound yesterday and he came home, came into the dugout and he was crying and he said, I suck at pitching, Daddy. And man, it just tore my heart out. Not that he couldn't, not that he was having trouble finding the plate. He's nine years old, for crying out loud. He's not Nolan Ryan. But because my son didn't think he had, didn't think he was good, didn't think that he, he had value, I said, Michael, bud, did you have fun? You were, you did, you did well, you were thrown, so you tried to build, build them up, but my, my sons, because, because of what they've been through, they have very low self-esteem. 
not a lot of self-confidence, and they get down on themselves very easy. So it's my job as their father to be their biggest cheerleader. Not to fill their minds with, with lies and foolishness, but to let them know, guys, you have value. You matter. The world would be a much darker place if you weren't around. I say that to my sons, but I say that to all you tortured Christians. You have value. The church is a much darker place because you're not around. Life is not as joyful because you're not living in the joy of the Lord, because you're not fully embracing what he has for you. Man, we're all missing out because you have value. You have value, not because I say you do. You have value because Jesus loves you. He created you. <laughs> Do you know that? He created you. Just the way you are. John 1.10 says he was in the world and the world was created through him. Jesus Christ created you. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created you. He created you just the way you are. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else has told you all your life. God created you. He created you the way you are. He loves you. You have value to him because he created you out of love not out of necessity. You realize that God didn't have to create humanity. He did it because he wanted to. He created, he didn't have to create you. He didn't have to give you life. He did it because he wanted to. Because he loves you. Not only did he create you, he died for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins Christian, do you understand that we, we really emphasize that with the loss, with the unbelieving, that you're a sinner and you're in need of a savior and Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. But Christian, do you understand that? Do you understand the impact of that? Even after you have accepted Christ as your savior, Jesus died for you. You realize that God incarnate died for you. He loves you enough to die for you. Maybe you've never felt loved in your life. Jesus loved you enough to die for you. He created you and then he died for you. You have value because he loves you. John 3:16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You have everlasting life because he loves you. Christian, he loves you. I love that David Crowder song, He Loves Us. Oh, how he loves us. I just, it, just, the, just hearing that over and over and singing that over and over, sometimes I just need to hear it over and over and over again. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves 
me so. Mm. And he's offered to change your life. You don't have to live like a tortured turtle. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Aren't you tired of trying so hard? Aren't you tired of trying so hard to be enough? He says, come to me and I will give you the rest that only I can. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It'll never go away. It's not conditional. He loves you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. He wants to make you new. He wants to change your old and make it new. The third fact about being a tortured turtle Christian is this. You're not bound by your inadequacies. You are not bound by your inadequacies. Remember, <laughs> we said you're not enough and you're never going to be enough. It's just not going to happen. You're not designed that way. Don't Listen, when I pray on Saturday nights, when, I, when I'm praying for my sermon, I'm really giving myself to God to preach. I say, God, I'm surrendering everything I am to you. And I understand what Paul was saying when he said, it's your reasonable service because it's not really a big deal. I'm not, I'm not saying, God, I'm, I'm surrendering you because, and, and it's a difficult task because I want the praise and, and, and laudits from everybody and I want to be lifted up. That's not it. I realize that I can't do this on my own. I understand that even if I could, it wouldn't matter because speeches by men only last for a short time. That if I get up here and just read words off a page with nothing behind them, then that's all it is. But God has to be my source, and I have to surrender to him so that he can speak to you through me. And that's not a big deal for me. That's the way it's supposed to be. What you think you are doesn't matter when you're following Jesus. Understand, what you think you are doesn't matter when you're following Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hebrews 4, 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, <clears throat> excuse me, let us hold fast to our confession. For do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. And <laughs> look at this next one, man. Your chains are gone. You've been set free. Your chains are gone. You've been set free. Amen. Now live like a free person. Now live and pursue life as a free follower of Jesus Christ who willingly puts yourself into the servitude of the Most High God and follow him. Because, my friend, your chains are gone. You've been set free. 
Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will not walk and not faint. You're not bound by your inadequacies. Why? Because you're a follower of Jesus. And lastly, the past of others is not your future. The past of others is not your future. The old uh, salute of the gladiators, we who are about to die salute you. Gladiators knew that when they entered the, the arena, they were there to die. That was the only purpose of their existence in the arena. Turtles. <laughs> I don't know how turtles think, but let's just try to get into the mind of a turtle. You know, great-grandpa, I guess they can go back like hundreds of generations. Great-great-grandpa died on the road. Great-grandpa died on the road. Grandpa died on the road. Dad died on the road. It's just, in my his, it's just in my past, it's in my history, it's my future to die on the road because that's what's happened to all the turtles in my family. All the turtles in my family die on the road. And that's just the way it's going to be, man. If you live a, fatal, a fatalistic Christian life with that fatalistic mentality, then that's what's gonna happen. But the past of others is not your future. You don't have to be roadkill, you can choose a better way. No one's past needs to define you. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And God wants to give you, he's given you a future He's got it there for you. You just have to stop and walk away from the torture that binds you. Others may have met destruction. You don't have to. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you. Does that not fill your heart with hope? God is saying to you, I know the plans I have for you. Not the plans I have for your pastor. Not the plans I have for your church. I know the plans I have for you. You, individually, I have plans for you. Got big plans. I just need you to come along. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Did you know that it's not God's plan for you to die on the road, tortured turtle Christian? Did you know that? That it's not God's plan for you to be roadkill. The plans he has for you is not for disaster. They're to give you a future and a hope. Get out of your shell and see a new day. You can change your destiny, if that's what you want to call it. 1 Peter 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
tortured Christian, you don't have to be tortured anymore. You can live free in this life. That's the way you were designed to live. That's why Jesus died to give you that life. And that's the way he wants you to live. But you have got to realize and you've got to accept the fact that you drop your chains. You've been set free. Now walk away. Walk in that freedom. Don't be tortured anymore. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, just thank you for your persistence, your persistent pursuit of us. Lord, my heart breaks because I, I know so many who are tortured, Father, and it's just become so much of a burden, so much of a wall between them and you. That God, they've just, they've given up. Lord, many in this auditorium, many watching us on, online are near that place right now, God. This is a tough road to walk. Many of us have tough burdens to carry. And this year hasn't made it any easier. But God, those things are true if we only see things through our eyes, if we only allow the weight in our life to be the burdens that we're carrying from our past. Lord, you freed us from all those things and you give us new vision. Would you give us the courage and the power and the strength to see life your way? Don't let us be tortured anymore. Burden our hearts to be free, God. Bless us as we go from this place today. May our souls and our lives be nourished. May we live for you. Your precious and holy name, we pray and ask all these things, Father. Amen.